welcome to A Geography of Colour, a monthly podcast where I talk to a different painter each month about their relationship with colour. This month on the podcast, I'm talking with painter Jenny Eden. She is a contemporary British painter, writer and lecturer based in the northwest of England. Jenny's paintings emerge from a process of close making and the complex relationship between two active objects of being. They embody the potential for visual and psychological oscillation. In this exchange between painter and painting, the process arrives at curious and insubstantial part objects, simultaneously separate from and part of monochromatic spatial fields, operating in an obscure surface smooth colour and realities. Jenny received a BA in Fine Art from Birmingham School of Art in 2000 an MFA in Fine Art from Manchester School of Art in 2017. She is currently undertaking a by-practice PhD in painting at Manchester School of Art. Jenny lectures in Fine Art Painting at Manchester School of Art on the BA Fine Art and MA Painting programmes, and she is Level 4 Year Leader in Fine Art. She also co-runs Oceans Apart, a gallery in Salford dedicated to contemporary painting, and she has exhibited her own work both nationally and internationally. Hello Jenny, Uh, it's really nice to be in your studio today in Manchester and um, thanks very much for agreeing to talk to me about colour. Yeah, you're very welcome. We're actually in Salford. Oh right, yes, of course we are, I've walked (laughs) over the bridge. (laughs) But we're right next to Manchester so it's like, yeah, great to Manchester isn't it? I've known your work a little bit for a while mm. um, because you were in the Contemporary British Painting Prize, yeah. I think, in 2018. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's been interesting to see it develop. And I, I just wondered, maybe if you'd just like to say something about your work, you know, what kind of makes the work happen for you? I mean, one huge thing about the work, which I suppose is the same for most painters, is, is I've got to be here. I've got to be in the studio yeah. with the materials, with the colour um, and um, kind of I've got to give myself over to it so I can think beforehand and and I think there's something <clears throat> there's something really important about I'm always thinking painting or thinking about painting whatever I'm doing whether I'm teaching or walking or whatever but um, I have to give that give it that time to be in in the kind of act, if you like, with some of that thinking kind of floating about and um, appearing in in the painting as I'm working. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I'm writing a PhD about a lot, you know, it's a lot to do with process. Oh, yeah. So that's a really important part of what's going on. Are all those decisions and shapes and foot and like um, avenues that the painting goes down we go down I think of us together Uh, we go down together um, to get to some kind of resolved you know agreement on what this thing could be in the end it's a kind of a relationship or a conversation I suppose you're having yeah it really is and I think that you know I didn't I didn't know that was that was going on for a, a long time until I did my MA and then, then I think it's it when I realised that I wasn't a painter. Like some of the people around me would um, have a chat about this, that, and the other, and then go and do something, yeah. and then go away and do something else, and come back and put a mark down again. And that, and I just found that I couldn't do that. I had to 
allocate this chunk of time, whether it's an hour or four or a whole day, I had to allocate the time to just be like locked in. Um, I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about the thinking beforehand. Yeah. So is that the kind of thinking yourself into the painting? Um, is that a really important part of the process, or does the process? Is it more about being with the the yeah. painting itself, or is it is it a continuum? Um, it's it's a bit of everything that you've just said. So I think, uh, as I've just kind of said, uh, a lot of um, what I do is about being together. I I used to use a phrase, and I think I think it's still really relevant. I used to use a phrase, um, sustained togetherness, uh, which I I kind of felt was necessary but the thinking prior and it is totally necessary but the thinking prior to painting I think there's a kind of general thinking that's going on all the time but actually the thing I probably want to stress in my practice is that 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 writing is fundamental I have these which I'm holding up to you now um these these um what do I call them? Do I call them my... I just do my book. So my like studio. Studio so. book, yeah. yeah. actually thinking now, is there an actual name that I use? Um, they're all different. They're all moleskin. They've got two oh. moleskins. Can't have anything else. <laughs> um, so I go through all the colours. Um, you know, they're expensive, aren't they, moleskins? Like 17 quid. Yeah. But I, yeah. I think it's of whatever, with us student discount being a PhD student right now but um, they I think it's the quality of the paper the, the book itself the size of it say five but yeah I write it's a format isn't it that it's is a useful. format yeah. yeah yeah it's very useful for me and I I've got I don't know 20 of these from the last, the last six years or something so I'm writing a lot and I write um, I write to think my way into a painting I'd say like 98% of the time that's what I do. There might be the odd time I come in and I just get started but usually it's there's some kind of writing that goes on to to enable me to describe for myself and interpret what's going on in the work so that I have a, a way in because um, the, na- the nature of the practice as it's unfolded which is sometimes hugely frustrating is I, I have no, no clue where to what to do next. <laughs> Yeah, so it's not really a roadmap, is it? No, and um, and uh, that that's that can be a real issue for me. So I and I find that a lot of the what, what I do is a, an editing process, continue continuously editing, 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 and and I mean probably talk about Amy Silman quite a bit today, but um, I just feel so refreshed when I hear, hear her talk about the way colours can turn to a grey or... I have, I've always said for years, grey or army green. And I think she says something very similar, yeah. like really dirgy. And I think in one of her talks, she shows this um, journey of the painting. It just gets more and more full of, you know, army colours. <laughs> and, then, and then it came off the stretcher. And I, I just completely concur because... I I find that out of ten paintings, I might end up with one or two that succeed. I'd like to change that. I suppose that in in them going that far, you're kind of pushing the boundaries, aren't you? Yeah. And and sometimes, do you think you cannot work enough on one? So you've got to 
sometimes you've got to push them over the edge, haven't you? Yeah, and pull them back again yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's something I um, I always I say to a, I've said it to too many students, but I think Andrew Cranston talks about a painting nearly going into the bin before he metaphorically before he pulls it out. Back again. Yeah. Yeah. I think that does happen sometimes, but I think in more recent years, maybe I've. I just know when it's it's collapsing and I have to just leave it, unfortunately, and move on to something yeah. else. But but the nature of my practice is that, um, and lots of other painters talk about this too, is that something that you did in a painting that um, kind of got got covered over or it f- fell away or it, you couldn't pull it pull it out enough, re- reappears in another painting. So it's and still a still a still a consideration. Something to be solved. Yeah, so, still something to be solved. It does get solved. Um, it's it's like um, you've practiced it, so it's it's it didn't succeed in that painting, but you were practicing the thing, whatever it and is. And it seems like a painting memory and a memory of yeah, yeah. memory of like even. Um, a memory of what what's going on in the painting, but a memory of how to construct that sort of mark or that kind of sense of activity, like even in a very bodily or active uh, movement kind of way, like the way one can l- learn more about how to use one's wrist and fingers and arm in a painting gets done better in one then reappears in another painting. The neural pathways have been connected. The thing is better articulated and succeeds, <laughs> potentially. It sounds like almost like a dancer sense. learning her steps. Yeah. A bodily memory of Body something. Body memory or something, yeah. yeah. Well, for, I think for me, I play the violin, so that's what I. That's how I relate to that. I'm in an orchestra at the moment. We, I joined in September, and I, I found it really hard at the beginning just to kind of remember how to lay the fingers down and and it's coming back and um and I have to just repeat a phrase like 20 30 times mm. to like lock it into my brain I, I know it and I can play it um more automatically so just thinking back to color in your painting and how it's changed over time so I think earlier on Gesture was really kind of central in the work. And then um, I guess more... Um, it's interesting because I'm thinking of multicolour now, but a, probably a wider range of colours were, were evident in the paintings. And um, over time, the, the gesture has kind of been sucked into a form. And I, and I, and I, I speak also for the paintings because they can't speak like I speak as in the spoken word but they speak obviously and that when they've spoken to me over these these years I think I've learnt from them that the the gesture need not be all over as much as it was um, so is it more condensed and or? more condensed into form so I think that's what's happened more recently is I've uh, got these um these suspended. Um, I like I like to use phrases like this. They're on and in, so they're on the surface, but they're also inside it. Yeah. So, um, and I, I'm thinking about colour and process. 
Um, it's not the case with every painting, but you can probably see from all of these that it's going on quite a bit, is I put down um, a colour, solid colour, across mm. the whole surface of the painting. And I put down two or three coats. Sometimes it's a slightly different colour, sometimes it's very different, but usually it's pretty much the same kind of colour to get this solid um, ground on which to work. But the 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 ground can change slightly, so I'll, I'll e- it'll either be a solid colour overall mm. or it will be um, a colour that goes from one slight gradient to another, which that middle one there is going a bit pink to green. So I'm mixing a colour moves between. Oh, I like that you use calico. Yeah, yeah. I only use calico now. Oh, well, I've got the odd one in linen, but mainly it's calico. What makes you choose calico? Um, I just don't... I've never worked well with the weave of oh, yeah. canvas, yeah. and I found it just conflicted with the the thing, the gesture or the thing, the form thing, the painted form that's going on. Especially pre, pre-MA, I was doing a load of hard edge paintings, which were setting up these kind of geometric spaces... Um, working really um, closely up to a line that I would draw in with pens, very light pencil and work up to it and um, and then when I was on my MA I just thought what on earth am I doing there's no reason for that, that. am I just showing off that I can paint straight lines <laughs> that's what that's what I thought really um, and uh, so the line the straight line and everything disappeared and the gesture the the, the Especially because I was on a master's and I was sort of in the moment and, you know, feeling it. So yeah. the gesture was really central there. That's really interesting how you moved from that edge to, the edge to yeah, something more organic, maybe. Yeah, and, yeah. and flowing. Well, because yeah. I, th- I think the thing that happened was we... I, I really like this idea that you go on to a postgrad to sort of deconstruct what's important and what's not. So um, I realised that the the straight edge was some kind of, I don't know, gimmick or um, look at me, I can do these straight lines. It was the colour, it was the colours and some of the marks within the, the, the edged spaces, the straight edged geometric spaces that were interesting me more, more kind of evocative or emotive or communicative. And maybe yes. quite nice to have them uncontained. Uncontained, yeah. To have, you know, they could maybe exert their freedom a bit yeah. more. Yeah, be all, yeah. all over, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, which they did across the whole across the whole painting. So I'd work on really large paintings then, one, 180 centimetres by 150, yeah. I've got them all, all the sizes out there. Some of yeah. them have gone, but... You'll see the size out in the corridor. But, um, yeah, big, big paintings. And then, um, so what's kind of happened over time then is that I've I found that the gesture <clears throat> needed to be contained in an edge as well, in a <clears throat> some kind of um, edged form. Oh, so actually, mm. the line came has come it's back. Come back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's come back with rigor. I think I'm, I'm. I really love. I really love the line now. Yeah, um, it's lost its geometric shape. A bit, <coughs> lost hasn't the it? geometry. Yeah, yeah, but it's um, 
like the thing about say that middle one there when you get close to it it's there's a kind of wow this is that's that's such a straight edge of <laughs> color and I, I i feel that i see that and i'm kind of um glowing with like pride for it being edged in that way but i think uh, um, well, one of the books on the table there Zen, uh, Jerry Zeniuk. He he talks about edges and um, something I so I want to do more thinking about this, and I will do. But um, he talks about like here we go. So some painters begin with the line and then add color. These are graphic painters. The color painters begin with color and then work towards the edges, which are not lines sort of um so that's what's going on right now for me in the work is that I'm put I put down I have a load of colours on the palette which uh maybe we'll talk about what those are. I mean I'm using one brush with that painting wow. in the middle. So I've got the range of colours on the palette and I'm using um this brush here which is uh what is it? Um it's nothing really that fancy. It's a Dale Rowney graduate half inch flat yeah, head. Quite soft. Soft synthetic, well, it's synthetic, yeah. yeah. It's, um, you know, I love using these very soft brushes. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of wiping all the time and use, getting the colour on there. Yeah. Do you use any medium with your paint? Um, so you're working in oils? Yeah, working in oils, um, which are predominantly Wallace Seymour colour. They make some fantastic colours. Yeah, yeah, really great, really great. And I uh, use Shell Salty. Oh, yeah. No, only for this kind of painting that we're looking at here, I only use a little, a little bit just to wet the brush. Really, yeah. I'm not dabbing into the shell, dropping no. into the shell salty all the time. So I'm using um, Wallace Seymour paints, um, and uh, I predominantly at the moment. I mean, think I go through periods and phases. So, but at the moment, I'm using. And I've been in out in and out of love with magenta, but I'm using it, <laughs> using it a lot now. So it's the series one. It's um, I do I do have or did have the it's this year's series. Pantone color. <laughs> oh, is it? Yes. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, a certain kind of magenta. Certain, I thought, yeah, it's more of a purple magenta, isn't mm. it? Or yeah, I don't know. I looked it up a while back. But, what was it? Fauve orange. I use, and I absolutely love. Mixing fauve orange and royal blue light, oh, and I get this sort of um, this colour in between. This sort of sometimes green, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, really mixed kind of orange blue. Yeah, I can't even describe it, and that's something I really like is not being able to describe the colour. So you're using complementary colours. Compl- yes. To well, um, complementary, yeah. Mixing them to get yeah. kind of a prismatic. Um, yeah. colour that's in the middle yeah yeah, something in the middle that holds the two colours yeah. together which is amazing yeah. actually because um, I just recently went to a Wallace Seymour event in Lancaster where we could try out all these different paints and inks and various things and I, sh- I should have brought it but I, um, what, um, Pip gave me um, a red green which is both red and green oh wow and it's it radiates both colours 
when you look at it in the tube and then when you paint with it, I noticed it kind of started green, then went to red. Oh, that's so it still kind of holds the two. Yeah. And, and for me, that that's completely central to to my work, is this holding of two opposites. So does colour theory play, play a part? Or well, I guess complementary. Yeah. Yeah, the, the notion of complementary colours does. And then harmonious colours, I think, that's probably my where my history is in colour is using um, complementary, um, using harmonious yeah, working your way around the spectrum around, yeah, so I think what's going on in something like this is it's both um, complementary and harmonious that it's, it, colour all kind of works in a in an arc you have got the harmonious colours overall, yeah. but then you're putting inside. the complementaries, slipping them in against, against each other, each other which, the yeah. yeah, which perhaps creates a dazzle. Yeah, or, a dazzle or a yeah, shimmering. Yeah, a dazzle, I like that though. I find that really interesting that it's doing these multiple things. To... That kind of the use of and, yeah. you know, that it yeah. doesn't have to be either or, no. it doesn't have to be black and white, no. you can actually have have these things along, yeah. running alongside each other. Yeah, yeah, that's that's metamodern, I think. Is it? <laughs> yeah, which is part of the research that I do. But it's this kind of um, this period that we've been in for like twenty years, a new modernism. Yeah, these two. Um, I don't know if you heard about these I've, two I've Dutch heard guys. Of it. Uh, yeah, but I I haven't read anything about no. it. I think I, I know I came to the exhibition last night in yeah. in the. Oh, it, in the yeah. blurb, it's uh, it, it yeah, mentions Rick that. and um, Paul got this yeah metamodern um, element. Yeah, yeah, Rick and I share that understanding of metamodernism, but it's not that widely <coughs> discussed, really, no. especially in painting. Mm. So I did I did a talk in the summer, and um, it wasn't in Seattle, but it was part of a Seattle metamodern oh, wow. group, yeah, uh, AHRC thing, and um, I talked about painting and metamodernism and psychoanalysis and the kind of links between those things. That sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's online somewhere um, That's now. But it, but yeah, the metamodern kind of principle is that we're operating in this period of like, um, I don't know if you call it a late modernism, but a developed modernism after mm. postmodernism. Yeah. Where we're, where we're kind of, we've got this conjoint situation where we're dealing with postmodern irony and cynicism. And multiplicity, as well as a modernist kind of authenticity, and um, uh, oh, I can't think of other words like um, uh, sincerity. Yeah. So, so, so it's, you've got those two sides those two together. together. Yeah, yeah, in the same thing. So these this these two Dutch writers, Timotheus Vermeulen and Robin van den Acker, have write have written loads of stuff, and loads of other people have as well on. on this kind of postmodern, modernist, modernist, postmodernist duality thing, and how that kind of is operating in contemporary art and film and architecture and so on. But it's uh, I don't know. I'm always wor- a bit worried about thinking of it too simplistically because it is kind of rooted in modernist and postmodernist ideas. But um, it's it's fundamentally like an oscillation between opposing positions yeah. contained in the same and that the actual work happens through that opposition or it's propelled through that um to to twoism. Yes. Um 
that's just reminding me of there's a paper by Mary Heilman about tourism, I think. I like that phrase, yeah. tourism. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, so so I'm tr- I think I'm try- trying to do it in the work, but also the work asks of me to not be one or the other. It yeah. asks to have the two elements in it. Yeah. And for me, in terms of the reading and research and training, I trained to be an art psychotherapist like years ago and never yeah. actually did that. I went back to teaching, but I learned loads of Freud, Winnicott, Klein and so on. And that's coming into and your that's coming PhD. Into, yeah, so that's the psychoanalytic element, which yeah. are, the thing that's always been really interesting to me is this, this sort of um, need in a way a human need to be able to manage to manage opposing thoughts. Yeah, that's kind you know, of it's quite crucial to quite life. Quite crucial really. to life and cru- crucial to like well-being yes. and getting on and being able to deal with what life throws at you. So for me, I, I think of metamodernism as being kind of inherently psychoanalytic yeah. in yeah. that way. And then I also think of... I guess those two things, metamodernism and psychoanalysis, being kind of embodied in the work that I make, which is made through these two beings being having all kinds of feelings together, me and the painting. So So it's a way of exploring maybe some of your unconscious or pre-conscious, I think is another term you use. I do use that a lot, yeah. I think this this is a really tricky territory because I um kind of been pulled up a bit on this in, in PhD things and I I'm kind of I don't think I'm dealing with my unconscious no. in the paintings because I'm not having psychoanalysis and I never have what I'm really interested in is is the early stages of psychoanalytic thought from Freud yeah. what's called pre-psychoanalysis oh. I'm really interested in that sort of developing an understanding of um, the mind and the unconscious yeah um, like a becoming and I think that's yeah. some of the things that the paintings do is that they become but they never get yeah. they never yeah. get to something I'm wondering whether there's kind of like bodily states in there yeah. that you're feeling when you're painting yeah and maybe like they might escape into the surface, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it's it's how you're feeling as well as how you're thinking. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think just to go back to the unconscious, it's like I'm completely on board with the fact that the unconscious is present within us, around us all the time, and it drives what, what kind of what we say and how we act and how we are in ways that we don't know and we might never really know. Yeah. Because yeah. it's the unconscious. It's like um, unless I suppose you have kind of deep psychoanalysis, it's sort of it's affecting you. But if it gets to be a problem, then probably you do need some help with it. But yeah. I, I'm fascinated by how this this kind of element of the mind can be controlling in a sort of not a not a um, in a way that's kind of useful or intriguing or and so I think I'm what I'm saying in the work or what I'm trying to do in the work is is allow the unconscious to be present and so things materialize in the work that I kind of don't fight them off I just kind of let the forms form 
So you're not in charge of every mock that no. you're making? No, I um, mean I am, but I'm sort of not as well. But you're allowing is, that, yeah, allowing things to allowing happen. Allowing the forms, yeah, yeah. yeah. To, to develop. To develop. But then, but then also I think what's going on is because I am an agent in this. Yes. Uh, I yes. also am interested in sort of um, pushing and pulling, you know, working with and against. So and as soon of, as you start um, uh, introducing your thinking brain and looking at a painting and thinking... Well, do I want this here or there? Yeah. Then you're actually too much the. Uh, well, no, I think you're then putting that layer in, aren't you? Of yeah. the conscious thinking. Yeah, yeah. Which can get too big and too kind of grotesque or too controlling. Yeah. It's so perhaps another thing where you have to have the two side by two side. Two things, which mm-hmm. which I feel is connected to the pre-conscious. So that's I think I often thought that a lot of what happens in my practice and other painters is. Is you're working in this kind of less than conscious level. I find get a bit twitchy when people talk about the subconscious, because people I think people talk about the subconscious when they really mean the unconscious, the sub under. You know, the pre-conscious is some is the consciousness that uh, sits below consciousness that is um, accessible generally if you can if you can stay with it and find it and pull it for forward. So it's available. So it's available and you can use it. So I think um, I'm probably trying to, yeah, use it in in ways that enables it to somehow stay very conscious. Because I think when you start getting really conscious of the things that you're making, for me it becomes um, contrived. Yeah, and Um, it can take away the mystery. Take away the mystery, yeah. yeah. So it's like I want the painting to always stay in the pre-conscious yeah. yeah even though there's got to be some element of consciousness in what I'm doing but it's it's all that stuff about in the zone reverie you know all the all the conditions I was at a talk um, we've got a painting freelance fellow David Auburn at the moment at Manchester oh. School of Art and he said similar things yes um, the other day about music and needing to kind of get into some particular state in all yeah for flow to for happen. flow to happen yeah. so yeah for me like well, usually music music that's not really tuneful or guitar-y because I'll just end up focusing on the so you listen to music while you while yeah you like electronic yeah. or something yeah. that's um constant chugging away yeah. so there's no uh starting and stopping for my brain I'm just yeah. in, a, yeah. in a flow yeah and not not uh, no words maybe no generally no words yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And I was wondering with your art psychotherapy training yeah. is there anything about color that's coming from that training yeah do you think? well not that I can think of but I, I kind of think we're probably going to talk about synesthesia so maybe yeah. that's linked but no yeah. I mean it's, it's really the whole psychotherapy art psychotherapy stuff is really interesting because for a number of years I thought what like sometimes I thought, why did I do that? I don't know why. It, other than like um, working with people, I've always worked with people. I find I found yeah. that that training helped me to, you know, manage being around people. But I wasn't sure, what, you know, apart from that, maybe what what it was doing for me. But then since I started really being serious about painting, I realised it was just totally involved in what what I'm doing but um still work I'm still working it out though I'm still kind of thinking it through I think one of the reasons why I'm really fascinated by the pre-psychoanalytic period is that I'm interested in things that aren't fully formed whereas psychoanalysis and 
Freud's later ideas are a, a little bit solid and I don't think that fits with my work and things I'm fe feeling or thinking so so yeah I do believe I've got synesthesia for many years growing up I didn't know there was that word yeah. for it I didn't really I thought everybody thought this I mean lots of people think this don't they they think everybody thinks the same as them until yeah yeah until they you find, find out, out that they don't <laughs> you don't have a color for people's names what <laughs> But that's what I have, is that I um, I always have colours or a kind of collection of colours uh, in my mind when I think of a name, someone's name. And it's not really got anything to do with you. It's, um, it's the name. It's the name. So if there were two Janes, would they both have the same they colours? They would, yeah. 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 So it's the, it's the, is, that, is that to do with the sound of the name? No, it's to do with the letter formations. It's to do with colour in the letters, with in connection with the letters. Oh, yeah. I've sat with students so many times and they go, Jenny, what's my name? And they say their <laughs> name and then <laughs> I have to like think on the spot. Oh, yeah, that's... But, I mean, the thing is it comes on the spot, so it's kind of... So Ruth, I mean, my middle name's Ruth, so it's like gr greeny, grey, orange. It's quite a lot of colour tied in to the name. Whereas uh, I was listening to Huey, the Huey show on Six Music driving in, and there was a song called Jackie Blue. I've never heard before, but I was thinking, well, that's interesting because we're just going to talk about colour in a minute. And um, blue, obviously, blue. Jackie, I thought, pink pink and like magenta and a purple. But then I thought, well, Jane, because you mentioned Jane. Well, I was thinking of other names, can't remember what now. But um, say Jane, red and yellow. And it's because of the A being red. So red. Oh. But then in Jackie, it gets taken over by the pink and the purple. Sarah, yellow and yellow and red. Um, Helen, all um, oh, using girls' names here, but Helen, yellowish, yellow. My name Jenny is is yellow with like this veil of green. And so I remember one time I taught a David and a and a, a David and. Um, I've forgotten the other name. But they were both red and blue, and I used to say the wrong name all the time to the wrong <laughs> student. And then after after a while, the student the student said, it's the synesthesia, isn't it, Jenny? And they, they understood. Like, yeah. I was relieved, because I, yeah. I think they thought I was just being annoying or forgetful. Yeah. And those forgetful yeah. teachers that gets everything wrong. But I was um, mixing them up. Adam, it was David and Adam. Does your colour go with sounds as well? Not, no. No? No, no. it goes with um, names, predominantly days of the week, months of the year, s some objects, but not really, but m just really names of people. <laughs> and then, obviously, one thinks, how is that related to the work? Does it come into the titles? Um, no, not really. This is a real letdown, isn't it? Um, <laughs> no, I... Um, I know that what happens in the process is that I find that I'm wanting a kind of colour aura. I've talked about that before in oh, previous yeah. things. Yeah. And so I think that's what that's probably the connection with this names thing, is this colour aura. I think when I start to make a painting either so either before I make one, I'll have a sense a sense aura or a colour aura that I, I want to try to articulate. Or through the act of painting, that kind of sensibility will arise. 
it does have some relation to the names and the people, names but and, yeah. it becomes its own thing. Its own thing, yeah. I do spend a lot of time when I'm writing, spend a lot of time like thinking about what the painting is um, like, what it resembles, what it's sort of pointing to in the world or in mm. my thought pro- thoughts or in my memories or what it what kind of characteristics it's got and so that's that's um, connected to like Heidegger's notion of um, thing characteristics and thingliness yeah because they so, are abstract but they take on the qualities a quality of something p- yeah. possibly known yeah, yeah. yeah. So the one, um, the one that you pointed out before. Oh, what's that, the name of that it's one? It's called Hunnabedden, and that's. Um, I really do struggle with titling, and I've kind of gone to the Dutch for titles quite yeah. a lot because I like that dis, dis um, what's the word? Um, distance uh, of right, another yeah. language. Yeah. And I've got like connections with. Um, got my, one of my best friends is Dutch, and I think. If I didn't live here, I'd live in Holland. Would you? Yeah. yeah. And so um, I think I try. I start, started to go down a rabbit hole of, um, after going to the Hlin Peninsula and seeing lots of cromlechs and burial sites, oh, yeah. I started to think about and have a sense of, like, um, something un- underneath and behind and below and something quite mysterious or dark. And so that that kind of appeared then in this painting, um, which is all of those things I've just said potentially quite bodily as well inside, yeah. quite wombish, yeah. wombish, and also um, fluffy and bunnyish. <laughs> <laughs> so it's got that um, two tuness huh? in the painting, but. Um, uh, yeah, so I ended up with all these words for the same kinds of things that I thought I could um, go to if I needed a title, but I also needed that title to sort of speak to the painting and to show just a, another level. On Does the day. title come before you finished it? Or? Oh no, it's no. always the very last thing, like yeah. when I've got to put it in a show. Oh yeah. my God, what am I going to title this yes. It's always the same, and I'm... I'm on the bus or on a train and I'm researching and reading all this stuff and oh yeah that feels right and they end up yeah somewhere yeah um, and it felt right for this one actually Hunter Bedden yeah and that painting it sort of feels as if it's got the like the temporal quality yeah. of how it was made and how long it took to make it going back to the, some of the things I've said before like that painting was really green like probably the green of that Musking tape there, so oh, yeah. quite froggy. Um, for a good while, and there were lots, a lot of collection of colours in this central form. It was just too in your face. It's too glaring and dreadful. I mean, I, I often hate, hate some of this. Well, hate's a very strong word, but mm. I detest some paintings for a long period. Yeah, and I think maybe that happened with that one. I did it. Yeah. yeah, and then uh, then I think the stage before this stage that you're seeing now, kind of put a few other bits of colour and maybe changed it to maybe a bit more pinky. It kind of all happened in a flurry, really. But I mixed this colour, which is happening a lot in the work. It's it, there, you know. I think they come from a few different places. These colours, but they're sort of um, maybe they're a bit farrow and ball colours, which is. <laughs> <laughs> but they're they're like 
I think of them as like 30s, 40s, 50s colour, oh, when yeah. colour wasn't colour yeah. as it is now, when it was more like manufacturing colour or, yeah. or yeah. more... Um, um, that, yeah. That's interesting because I've seen them more as colours that you might find in nature, right. in water or in the sky or in grass. You know, I was yeah. thinking of them as outdoory, bluesy, greens, greys, oh, yeah. you know, but... So if you use talking about manufacturing from a certain period, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's so um, such a different way of looking at thinking at about it, it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, mm. no, uh, for me, they, I think of like internal color. Mm. I don't mean um, well, maybe I do mean in my mind or body, but I, I really mean space, like um, yeah, old old um, home colors or like um, early twentieth century. A bit like some of the colours in this building, you know, like um, early manufacturing colours. Yeah. And I, actually, I've just realised as well, I think it's probably got a big relationship with this, is, uh, like, I come from a Citroen 2CV family. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, grown up with these cars in every shape and form, you can imagine. And um, I re- always really loved and really loved to see, and I saw a couple of years ago a range of the very first two CVs with the ripple bonnet and the one light and the yeah. suicide doors and, and all that yeah. in Antwerp at a national camp oh. and they were all these colours they were these greys these knocked think of this colour as like knocked off yeah um, and they're quite opaque they're kind of really um, quite a lot of white yeah, load, yeah. I use loads of titanium white in them yeah so the the background colours and the colour that we're talking about with the Hunnebedden mm. painting, they they'll be the staple diet of the colour will be um, titanium white. And I use royal blue light a lot, which mm. are, these are Wallace Seymour names, but mm. I use what, what royal blue lights as whites quite a lot of the time. Oh right. So um, so it kind of enables. Yeah, it's quite pale. The isn't light it? to stay. Yeah. yeah. Um, they have got lots of yeah. interesting colours. I see you've got some with greys in. Yeah, yeah. Like so I was starting to say, talk about colour a while back, wasn't I? But yeah. yeah, so I use the red grey, which is a great colour. I use it for glazes, really like it. But it ends up, it separates quite a lot. So it's quite oily, which I find uh, oh, yeah. you can see it in there. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Look. yeah, it is. So separated. yeah, so that's a bit, um, mm. I have to kind of work, work with that. But yeah, I do use that colour a lot. And then, as I just said, the magenta and the... Um, is it that's a This is a lovely one, orange-grey. Yeah. So um, for, for my birthday, I was given out of these colours. Look, they <laughs> lovely. lovely, aren't they? Yeah. But they, they are really mm. lovely. I really I use them every now and again. But mm. um, I just prefer colour with more pigment in it than, like... That's why I really love, feel the weight, I know it's a bigger paint sheet, but feel the weight of that. Yeah. Um, it's got so much pigment, and I think that's what I need at the moment, is the colour to be real, really colour and rich yeah. and heavy. So yeah, I use those a lot. I got this one recently from that Lancaster um, event, that's oh, yeah. Vermilion Production 1970s. Uh. <laughs> it's great with white, I mix it with white. And then um, I use violet grey. That's a heavy one. That's nice and solid. Um, and uh, oh, this is another absolute favourite, which is Sansepulchro blue. 
Oh, so I that's use interesting. that all, yeah. all the time, and it's it's such a rich um, sky, Italian sky. Um, <laughs> Transports you. Yeah, definitely. Um, Do you think of colour uh, symbolically, or? Yeah. So, um, well, I, I think something I was wanting to talk about was um, maybe it connects with that. Is like I think of colour ontologically. Can you explain that? Yeah, totally, yeah. yeah. So, you know, going, it kind of connects with something Amy Silman said in her On Colour text, which was about colour as material. And actually, I've, brought, I've got this collection of books here of people. I, I love other painters that write about painting. And I yeah. call them, and this is something I've got in the PhD, I call them painter-writers. So, I see you've got um, Patrick Heron. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. totally, like, such a, a god figure. For me, I think <laughs> the way he talk, the way he talks about his process and and how he makes the painting when he was on in the which text is it the notes on my painting when he talks about putting putting a vermilion down and then a, a little wiggle of green which enabled the vermilion to be more radiant because when it was just vermilion it was padded down a bit so the opposite colour enables that to to be more of what it is yeah which I think yeah I mean color relationship is so important isn't yeah it? all the albers yeah um yeah. interaction yeah but um but yeah going back to ontology and so on it's um so yeah per, per Kirkaby talks about color as material as well so does Amy Silman and I think that connects with all the things I just said about the weight and so when there's more pigment in the paint, it's heavier because it's more pigment mm. weight. When it's more oil, it's lighter because it's less pigment. I think of the paintings in this way, but I also think of paint itself as having like um, an agency or quality of being able to communicate. So it's um, the color. The color itself has a kind of language or. Um, um, character. Yeah, so like magenta, for instance, will be, it's great as a glaze, I find. So when you asked about mediums, mm. I, d I use the shell solas like the solvent, but then I, if I'm doing glazes, I use safflower oil, which is, when you mm. see all these kind of yeah. glazy bits, that's mm. safflower oil. Oh, yeah. I used yeah. to use poppy oil, but that, mm. but I use safflower now. Yeah. And that's really all I use at the moment, but... um. So magenta gets thinned down really well as a glaze. So does burnt umber, and I use burnt umber a lot. But they they're both kind of they both don't have that much um, magenta more than uh, burnt umber is kind of it's less it's less paint. There's less like pigment in it, so it's yeah, thinner. So it's easier to use as a glaze. Easier to use as a glaze. Um, so it's kind of character is I almost feel like because even though it's a radiant color and can is a glaze can really transform a painting completely mm. it's also got some kind of thin wispiness uh, because because when it's mixed with other color it dies off it doesn't change the color very much you need copious mm. amounts of it to well I do yeah. to change a color and I find that's I'm always interested in like the kind of beingness of the colour on its own, but then also when it's mixed with other colour, how that beingness um, is compromised. Say so the royal blue light will like 
power up, power through the other colours and dominate. Blues often do, don't and they? Blues often do, but this very light blue, I think, with the white in it, really does. Is yeah. that is it, Would you use that as a glazer, or has it got no. too much white in it? Yeah, I mean yeah. that's that's a bit of a that's a bit of a whitish oh. glaze, but yeah. it's it's really um, kind of made it very murky, which I'm interested in. Yeah, I don't tend to don't tend to use those white, those heavy colours as glazes. Because they're so um Yeah, they kind of sit on the surface too so, much, don't yeah, they? Yeah. Sort of a bit solid. Yeah. A bit too solid yeah. for me at the moment, but I mean that's the first kind of painting I've done where I've used it more as a glaze. I suppose it, it you can use it to knock a painting back and mm. then work back into it, mm. can't you? Yeah. Which yeah. is probably what'll happen there somehow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean it's it, it's interesting what it's done. It kind of it's made the colour the colour a bit more subtle, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. It's taken yeah. it back a couple of hundred years, hasn't it? <laughs> That's what I think with that one. Yeah. Do yeah. you have any um, colour memories that are important to you? Or... I mean, it's interesting that I I've, I always seem to find myself gravitating towards like an eighties palette. I call it an eighties palette. Yeah. Which you know I was sort of. What's 12 at 1990, so yeah. I, was, I don't really remember the 80s, really, <laughs> but I think... Do you think, are you thinking in like, 80s, like, domestic, um, you know, room palette? No, or, I'm no. thinking of, uh, think of a My Little Pony, Care Bears. Oh, yeah. 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 So the kind of top I'm wearing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and the and jump... I can see that top in, a bit in those Yeah, paintings. and this jump, this is my studio jumper, and it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I find I find that you know, in, with clothes and stuff, I end up with these colours and with these yeah. um, these this collection of colour, um, which it's not even the colour I wore in the eighties. You know, I really remember want, desperately wanting certain shoes and things and never getting yeah. them. Yeah. Well, so it's maybe there's a longing or a. You know, if you look back at pictures of me in the eighties, it was yeah. all very corduroy trousers and early on, yeah. and like probably a very dark browny ready version of that. You know, yeah. but yeah. the pattern would be the same. Yeah. But um, it's interesting because what what you're what you're wearing, your studio jumper, they've yeah. got kind of the opacity that we've been talking yeah. about. They've got these kind of secondary greens and. Um, uh, sort of purpley blues yeah. and and this colour here mauve yeah is it? Uh, sort of mauvey brown isn't it yeah um, it's heading heading towards oh yeah there's yeah. two there's like a grey look at that yeah. grey there yeah but I can see that in that's your paintings that's going on I know yeah. I know yeah I know. fascinating it is and people do and I don't wear this jumper very often but I felt like today I had I needed to my yeah. grandma made this oh did you yeah wow so uh, yeah. yeah fleece again yeah, fleece. The time of year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. What were we talking about just then? Uh, we were just talking about uh, colour memory. Colour memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So, so maybe it's um, to do with a yeah, a memory of a period I lived through, but didn't wholly engage with because I mm. think what's in later years I've been I love like those really cheesy eighties films and colours and clothes, like all the exercise stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. 
<laughs> and I find that the, some of those colours, are I think they're coming through in these paintings. It's as if you've got more to mine in them, more that maybe you didn't... Uh, exhaust them at that time yeah yeah i didn't yeah. i didn't um they weren't in i don't know if those colors were really apart from in my little ponies mm. and um other toys and things they weren't really in my life mm. you know mm. in doncaster in the 1980s. no so there were so, more objects like uh, things yeah that you'd play with, things that I'd play, yeah yeah so um so maybe that's yeah that's connected um I think there's some optical mixing, isn't there, that you leave the colours separate and then the yeah. viewer might mix them in their eyes. Yeah, yeah. Which relates to something I've thought a lot about and need to research more scientifically around um, this oscillation thing, that we, that even, that looking and seeing is a, is a movement thing. Yeah. You know, that it's yeah. a bounce back. It's a fluctuation, so we're always seeing in motion so the idea of a single viewpoint is out the window out the window. <laughs> yeah do you think much about the viewer and what the viewer makes of your work no <laughs> no no i got asked that in a recent phd review and i uh it's sort of i just thought whoa no no really the the engagement here is between me and this thing and this other being and it the work's produced and then it kind of enters an audience space. How important has it been to be doing your PhD yeah. where presumably you're writing more and interrogating both yourself and your work, yeah. maybe more than you would normally do? Yeah, well, I, I think that's interesting because I've talked about this with someone recently, like how has the PhD affected the work? Mm. Yeah, so um, I think I think it really has. I, I worry sometimes that the work's got stiffer or more fixed I don't but then I also think I, I think I did okay at the very beginning of the PhD to set up um my like agenda if you like or my aims and objectives yeah. that, that would enable me to follow a practice and I think what I've learned over the years is sometimes people set up PhD in a way that fixes them down when it's art based yeah yeah and they, they actually have to make this particular work and then write about it and all this stuff. And it, it doesn't allow for movement or change. Whereas I've set up this PhD to enable me to track the paintings and go with them. Yeah, and, it seems like it's and, allowed you to have a, a big period of growth really and exploration. Yeah, I hope that's, yeah, that's nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's enabled me to think about all the theoretical like stuff that's embodied in the work. I feel like they've still moved in a direction that they were going to move, going to move in anyway. Yeah, yeah. But the, but having said that, ultimately, yeah, the theory and practice kind of collab. That theory has learning that the paintings were like becoming or unfolding, or um, like the things in the paintings were like ethereally present both within and away from the field of colour and all these kind of things as, as fed into learning like thinking about pre-psychoanalysis and Bergson I've looked, read a lot of Bergson's notions of time and unfolding time and, oh yeah yeah um like this continuum and we were yeah. talking about this before weren't we like um colour and colour as a continuum 
that colour will always be evolving and it will we will always see colour and remind me there's something I wanted to say about that in a second about, well about colour but we were talking about colour all the time all yeah and you were talking about it being this continuous yeah kind of unfolding yeah. yeah and I was thinking about that unfolding and um, Christopher Bullis yeah. and this kind oh, of idea yeah. of the unthought known yeah that that seems to be something that you're exploring yeah these things that you recognise but um, they're not concrete, you yeah. know, you come across them. And so they, it's almost as if maybe the painting reveals itself to you. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, I had a, an amazing chat with um, someone in, at the beginning of my PhD when I was really interested in the unthought known, uh, which I was early on and it's still very important. And I'll, when I'm writing the PhD this summer, I'll talk, think about it a lot more, but it's... Mm. She said to me, you know, is the what about the paintings on Thought Known? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and that got me thinking about um so the so the unthought known is the kind of the something known that's not been thought yet. So it's yeah. like a felt knowledge. Yeah. And that I am trying to kind of excavate, I think is a nice word for this, or or locate and reveal the painting's um, known quality that it's not thought yet, as well as my um, own uh, pre-conscious felt not knowledge about something that I've yeah. not articulated yet or thought yet. Yeah, And that seems that then you're always in the realm of creativity, of possibility, yeah. that things are there waiting to be found yeah. or revealed. Or... Yeah, yeah. Um, but even yeah. in the finished painting that they're still in that place I think that's what interests me about does that go back to where we were at the beginning about you about this gesture or the something that was in the painting that didn't work yeah. but then it comes into the next painting or a later one um, yeah maybe it, it wasn't thought yet or yeah. Yeah, yeah it didn't get a chance to be thought um, it couldn't be kind of unconcealed or no, revealed. Yeah, yeah. It just sort of stayed. Yeah, it got got covered over or obliterated or something. It didn't have a chance to semi-reveal itself. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. yeah it wasn't the right time or the no, right uh, stage. We weren't it. in the right place together. Yeah, yeah. for that to to happen. Yeah. Well, it's been a fascinating conversation. Oh. Uh, really, thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, yeah, yeah, really giving me lots to think about. Yeah, oh, thank you. Yeah, me too, me too. Thanks to Jenny for such an interesting insight into her relationship to colour. I'd also like to thank Stuart Bowditch for editing the podcast, Arts Council England for supporting it through Develop Your Creative Practice grant, and Contemporary British Painting, an artist-led organisation that I'm a member of, for helping to publicise it. Thank you for listening. The Geography of Colour is a monthly podcast with a new painter each month talking about their relationship with colour. Do follow it in your podcast player and share it with your friends. You can also follow on Instagram at a Geography of Colour and you can follow Jenny at Jenny Ruth Eden. Contemporary British Painting are on Instagram at Paint Britain and you can sign up to their newsletter to receive more information. Thank you.